Well, thank you again, uh, worship team. Thank you for leading us in worship uh, so well. Just appreciate uh, the way you serve us from week to week. Uh, so amazing. Well, good morning. Uh, today we're going to start a new series called Share This. And if you have a Bible, take it to Matthew chapter 22. Uh, we'll be reading um, verses 1 to 14 there. It's a series whereby we hope to encourage us in sharing the good things that we've experienced in God through Jesus Christ. So Matthew chapter 22, verse 1. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner. My ox and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready. But those who were invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good, so the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, Friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. Jesus told this parable about the kingdom of heaven. Uh, other gospels call it the kingdom of God. Uh, as we dive into it, we see how important the kingdom is. Jesus, it said, talked more about the kingdom of God than any other subject. In another historical record, the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 4, we get this picture of Jesus. He's in this town, and he's healed a whole bunch of people. So naturally, they want him to stay in their village. But Jesus says, no, it's important for me. I must go to the other towns to preach to them the kingdom of God. It was that important. The same author, Luke, uh, who wrote Acts, he recounts how after Jesus rose from the dead and he spent about 40 days with his disciples, and he wanted to teach them. The, the subject that Luke brings up that Jesus taught them about was this. The kingdom of God was that important. And when Jesus talked about the kingdom, he did so with urgency. He would say things like, if, if your eye is causing you to sin so that it's, it's preventing you from participating in the kingdom of God, it'd be better for you to rip out your eye and enter the kingdom maimed, maimed than to miss out on participating in the kingdom. In his hyperbole, Jesus is making very clear, the kingdom of God matters. It is so important. And we need to know this morning as we look at this parable, you are invited into it. You are invited into God's kingdom. Now, all of us get invitations, I would imagine, all the time. On my email, I get all kinds of unsolicited invitations to participate in something. Recently, I just got a, a, a voice message on my phone that I was invited to an auto dealer's auto sale. I don't know how they got my phone number, but we're invited to all kinds of things. And some of those things we would think were really exciting to participate in, others not. Some we see as important, some not so important. 
What Jesus wants to make very clear is the invitation into the kingdom of God is of highest importance. It has eternal significance. And we find that as he tells us this in a parable. A parable is an illustration laid beside of truth to to take that truth deeper to us, to rivet that truth into our hearts. And that's what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 22. And it begins like this. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. I like this parable already. I do because for myself and maybe for you, there might be a, have been a time or maybe even right now that when you think about God and the things of God, it has a, a morbid sense to it. The kingdom of God is a funeral maybe, but more of an indication of, of how you think about God and the, and the things of God. I grew up as a pastor's kid and so... I grew up thinking that, oh, I need to be quiet. I need to be behaved nicely. You know, shh, Tim, do you have to be like that? Do you, have, you have to be so exuberant and excited. And Tim, just be quiet. Just stay in your lane, Tim. And so you can get this concept of what uh, going to church and what the things of God are like. But Jesus says, the kingdom of God can be compared to a party. Like a king throwing a wedding feast for his son. That's exciting to me and a bit shocking and when Jesus told parables there was often a shock element to it right out of the gate I'm excited I'm shocked by by what I hear now incidentally when you when you hear a parable or you read a parable it's important to to realize what what's going on there one of the things you want to do is identify who should I identify with like where am I in this parable where do I fit Uh, because that's how that's how the truth is is uh, born out. So it begins with a king. Uh, just so you know, you're not the king. The king represents, not hard to pick up, king represents God. You're not God, so that's not you. You're also not the son. That represents Jesus, and so that's not you. So we're eliminating some of the people that you might identify with in this parable. You're not the father. You're not the son. Now, we, you might know if you've read your Bible much that some, in some places the, the followers of Jesus are characterized as the bride of Christ. And so you might be thinking, hey, maybe we're the bride in this picture. No, in this parable, the bride's irrelevant, not even mentioned. So don't make the mistake that some people do in reading into a parable, forcing things into it. You, li- you need to let the parable come to you and let its message, its truth come to you. And as you do, identify, who am I supposed to identify with in this parable You're not the bride, you're not the father, you're not the son. So who are you as we read this? The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. I don't know if you've ever been invited to a wedding where you didn't really know the people all that well, but there was some family pressure or whatever to go. Maybe it's a cousin's brother's nephew's niece, you know, that kind of thing. I think we've all felt, you know, uh, you don't really want to go. You don't know anybody there, but maybe your spouse or your mom and dad do. You get dragged there. And, of course, it'll be on a nice, beautiful day 
when we've had four weeks of rain in British Columbia, and it'll be the first Saturday where it's a nice, beautiful day. It's your day off, and you, but you've said yes, you're going to go to this wedding. You know all your friends are out cycling or hiking. They're enjoying the great outdoors, but you've said yes to this wedding, and it's an indoor wedding, and there you are. But you know you can, you know, you can, you can do it because it's only a couple of hours that you're going to commit yourself to, and so you just grin and bear it. In a first century culture, a king's wedding feast for his son, you've got to understand, it's not just a commitment of a couple of hours. You're probably looking at a commitment of a week, maybe even two weeks. So it's a commitment that we're talking here. And in that culture, they would send out uh, uh, like a preliminary invitation, almost like we would understand a save the date and, uh, but they wouldn't really have a date. Just so you know, we're going to have a wedding feast for my son. It's going to happen in this particular, you know, time on the calendar. Don't know exactly. But people, were, people here in the parable, they've indicated, yes, we're coming. And so now, he, the king has sent his servants to, to tell them, well, now's the time. Okay, now's the time to come. But they don't come. They refuse. I've never been much on the royals. I mean, they're across the water. They're in the UK somewhere. And yet, I like to watch the news and I PVR it. And I can't believe how often the royals are on the news. Like, really? What does that have to do with what's going on in Canada? And if you're a royals fan, my apologies. I'm just not there with you. Usually, if the royals come up, I fast forward, get past it. But I got to tell you, if I was invited to one of the weddings of the royals, like if I got a personal invite in the mail, I'm going. I mean, what a privilege that would be. Would, wouldn't it be incredible to be included in that group of people, that select group of people that you've been invited into? What a privilege. I'm moving my schedule. I'm booking the flight. I'm there. But William and Kate, no invite. No. Harry and Meghan, no. I'm thinking maybe it got lost in the mail. I don't know. No invite. Kingdom of God? Now that's an invitation. You got to know when Jesus uses the parable and, and puts the king in the place of God in their mind, like there is no one who could put on a feast like the king. I've, I've witnessed parents, you know, as, as we're, let's say I'm, I'm doing a wedding and, and you see the parents in the background and all the energy and effort they put into making sure that their son or their daughter has the best day of their life. And, you know, they're picking up all the details that have fallen between the cracks and they're spending money on this. It's a, it's a time when it doesn't matter what you spend and they're doing what they can, but they have limited capacity, limited time. But they want to do everything they can to make that day so special. Now think about a king and the capacity that he has. You know, unlimited resources really in comparison to you and I. King would have the best food. I mean, if you're a foodie, this is like, oh, I want to be there. Because the king would have the best food. They have the best chefs. They're going to make the best things. They're gonna ha- you're going to have, if you're a meat lover, you are going to have the best things. You can imagine prime rib, Oscar, you know, beautiful succulent prime rib. And excuse me as I diverse a little bit um, with, with asparagus on it and crab and hollandaise sauce. And, you're, oh, and then there's going to be free-range chicken stuffed with prosciutto ham and exotic cheeses imported from around the world. 
if you're a vegetarian, they're going to have, they're going to have the best veg, veg, vegetable burgers, whatever. Okay? Everybody's going to be happy. The king's going to make sure that nobody is ever going to walk away sad from this celebration of his son. It's going to be amazing. The food's going to be great. The entertainment's going to be incredible. He's going to have all kinds of musicians there, different varieties, jazz ensembles. There's going to be probably an orchestra. There's going to be uh, maybe like hip-hop, uh, barbershop quartet, everything but country will be there. And it's going to be awesome for the kids because there'll be all kinds of games. There'll be jugglers and clowns walking on stilts. You get the picture, right? Exotic, abundant overflowing, amazing, jaw-dropping, ah. This is the picture of God that Jesus wants you to have when he uses the king, throwing a wedding feast for his son, that what God has intended for you in this life and in the life to come is beyond your capacity even to understand or know. You don't even have categories for what God has in store for you out of his goodness. In this life, the kingdom is already something you are entering into. And so although your life may have problems and you may experience difficulty, you still can experience in this life, in the kingdom, in the kingdom righteousness, peace, and joy. These are more valuable than any other commodity. They don't decay. They don't rust. They don't mold. They can't be taken away from you no matter what your circumstances are. They are priceless and they can be your possession right now in the kingdom on this earth. Romans chapter 14, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what God has for you right now. And then when you read the scripture and you see how the early church also looked forward to the life to come in the kingdom that we would have an existence one day where we're going to be completely transformed in our bodies. We're going to have new bodies. There's going to be no presence of sin, so there's no death. There's no people frustrating one another, broken relationships. Everything's going to be as we yearn for right now. All justices will be made right. Creation's going to be different. It's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. We're going to be reunited with people throughout history that were followers and believers in Jesus Christ. Family uh, members that you and friends that have gone before you on the other side, you're going to be reunited with them all around the glory of God. And, and you'll be able to see the glory of God unveiled. That is the party the King of Kings has planned for you. And you've been invited into it. So the king sends his servants and he called those who were then invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. Who are you in the story this morning? We read on in verse 4. Again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. I'm sure it would be embarrassing for a king having given the pre-invitation and now sent his servants telling people to come for him to be turned down, for people to say, no, I'm not coming. I'm sure that would, have been, would be embarrassing. And yet here we see a, an indication of the grace of God in that he sends servants again. He doesn't need to do that, but he sends servants again. And, and we see that even in our, our, our life today as you, as you hear about people's stories and how they came to a living relationship with Jesus Christ. 
especially when, they, when they're first generation, when their family weren't followers of Jesus and, and they really didn't know anything about Jesus, often it took a number of times for them to hear about Jesus and the good news of his kingdom before they came to a place where they could say, yes, I'm coming. I'm responding to you now. And so the grace of God sends one person to tell them about Jesus, another to share with them they're a Christian and they live a life that's so different, and then another who shares again, and then another again, reminding them, you're invited, you're invited, you're invited. That's the grace of God as he sends servant after servant, come. But there's also a tension here in this passage, and I hope you feel it. There's also an urgency to God's invitation to people. As he sends his servants the second time, his servants declare very clearly, the, the ox and the fatted calves have been slaughtered. The meal is ready. In other words, there's a window of opportunity to respond to. And that window is right now. If you don't come right now, that window closes. And, and for those of you that cook, you know what it's like when you make a meal, you've gone to all this trouble, you time everything so everything's hot and ready at the one time, and then you call people and they, well, you hope they come. And you hope you, they come right then. If you know anything about uh, meat and, and preparing meat, you know that when, when an animal is, is killed, that, that meat has to be taken care of right away. Like it's no good the next day or the day after. There's a window of opportunity. There's an immediacy here. And the king sends his servants to compel them. Now is the day of salvation. Now is the time. Come. Everything is ready. Would you please come? If you're here this morning and you don't have a living relationship with Jesus Christ, I would, I would just say to you, this is the most important decision if, if this is true, if, this, if what Jesus is telling us is true, this is the most important decision you'll ever make in your life, how you're going to respond to God's invitation to you to come under his rule and reign, that's what the kingdom represents, through relationship, through what Jesus Christ has done. It's not to be done flippantly. It's not to be done thoughtlessly. It's not to be done without investigation and making sure at the same time, there's an immediacy to that decision that you need to be aware of. So you don't know how long your heart's going to be tender. You don't know how long you're going to be interested. Have you ever been interested in buying something and you thought, yeah, I should have done that, and then it cooled off, that motivation cooled off. You don't know how you're going to feel next week or the month after or the year after. You, you, you don't want to give yourself, yeah, I'll look at this in another year or whatever. There's a window of opportunity that you don't know. Neither do we know how long we're going to live. Every day is a gift that God has given to us. Come. The invitation is there for you to come. God wants you in his kingdom. And he sent his son to make it possible. We read on in this parable and we see there's a number of reasons that people can reject the invitation that God has given to them. So we see in verse 5, it says, but they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So as it was then, so it is today, sometimes people are just simply indifferent to this message of Jesus. And they are, these are good reasons. A business, a farm, 
Like those are legitimate good reasons. You've got to provide for, for your family. It's just that of all the reasons to, to not respond to God's invitation, there's not a good one. No matter how important it is to you, it's not good enough. And so some people simply walk away indifferent to the invitation. But it gets worse. As you see in verse 6, some of them, while the rest sees his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. You know, I, I wished we lived in a world where we could discuss our differences around religion or, or politics and people could gather around that table and they could share what they believe, discuss their differences, and, and then leave and, 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 and do that in a, in a civil way and, and not, not, be, uh, not have animosity towards one another and, and be able to do that. But we don't live in a world like that. When you look at our world, grand scale, we do not live in a world like that. Jesus said to his disciples, he says, you're not above your master. He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. This parable that Jesus has spoken in, in verse 6 was historically true. Jesus is saying something that has general application and, and we can apply to our lives today. But it was already historically true as he speaks it. And, and the primary listeners are probably people of Israel. You see, God had sent his prophets to Israel time and time and time again, calling them back to himself. And many of those prophets, they mistreated, they hurt. Some of them, they killed. And so historically this, this has continued even today where, yes, there are people who are indifferent to God, but there are also places in our world that are completely hostile to Christians and to Christianity, the Christian faith. There's an organization in the United States called Open Doors, and they're committed to supporting Christians who are persecuted around the world. They, they have identified over 60 countries where uh, Christians are, are under threat of some sort. They estimate 245 million Christians live in a country where uh, they are threatened with persecution or are in a high, what they consider to be a high level of persecution. Last year, 4,000 Christians were killed because of their faith. This goes on today. Indifference, but also hostility. We move on. Verse 7. And some of you might wish that I would uh, skip this verse, but it's in the parable. And we need to hear Jesus' words as he presents them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers and burned their city. So you've come this morning, and, and maybe you brought a friend. And, and we, when we read that verse, it's a little bit embarrassing to us because it doesn't present God in a way that sometimes we would like to present him. All loving, all kind, everything's good, grace will cover everything. We've learned in this church as we've gone through the book of Exodus and looked at two chapters, when God revealed himself to Moses, he revealed himself as the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God who is merciful and gracious, who is slow to anger, abounding in love, steadfast love and faithfulness, that he's forgiving, he's forgiving, he's forgiving, but it also tells us that he is just. That he visits the iniquity on the father's children and, the, and to the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. God is a just God. And so at some point, he deals with people's rebellion against him. The king was angry. 
So we have this full, fully orbed picture of God and all his goodness and grace, but also his justice. Verse 8, then he said to those servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those that were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. You know, I've talked to a number of people and as they relate their life, they think, well, how could I ever be worthy of God and a relationship with him? When you see the things that I've done, like how is it possible for me to be worthy of a relationship with God? Just so you know, this, this parable has some historical uh, truth to it as Jesus speaks it as well. You see, as, as Israel by and large rejected Jesus, the way for the Gentiles was opened up. Now, I would imagine most of us in this room are non-Jewish. We are Gentiles. We're the ones who are now being invited, if you want to look at it on a, on a big scale. We're now the ones who are being invited in this parable. And the way Luke writes it, it's not very flattering. We're the poor, the blind, the crooked. And see, the idea is that none of us are worthy of this invitation like, none of us deserve this. You don't become worthy by performing to some level of some sort. That's not how we become worthy. To be considered worthy by God is simply to respond to his invitation with a yes. That's what it means to become worthy. And those servants, it says in verse 10, went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. This is the, like the crescendo in the story. The wedding hall was filled with guests. This is what's important about what's happened. That the wedding hall will be filled with people that are there to honor the sun. See, if you've ever held uh, an event, if you've ever held a party and you invited a bunch of people and only a few show up, how does that make you feel? When you've, when you've put on a party for someone else to celebrate them because you know what an amazing person they are and you want other people to come and help celebrate them. Isn't it so disappointing when person after person says, no, I can't come. No, I won't be there. No, I, I, I've, got, you know, I've got another uh, commitment that night and nobody comes. You're so disappointed. You're embarrassed of that person because they should be honored. Well, so it is. Think about it. What God wants to have with his son. He wants that wedding hall to be filled with people that are there to honor the son. This parable is it, it's great in that it tells us what God has for us. How we can enter into his kingdom and be blessed as we participate in that kingdom. Oh, how amazing. But that's not the main point of the parable. The main point of the parable is honor. God is committed to honoring his son, Jesus. God's committed to that. So where in the parable are you? As we read on, we see the connection to honor in, in, in verse 11. And what seems to be sort of a weird addenda to the story, um, if we'd have finished it, verse 11, it would have been great. It would have been a nice Hollywood, Hollywood story. We could have wrapped a bow on it. Yeah, the wedding hall is filled. Boom, that's great. But... But Jesus wants to emphasize, I think, honor a little bit more. See, in that day, most likely the king would have provided a wedding garment for the people that were coming. They'd been invited on short notice now. Hey, it's ready. Get here. And so the king would provide something for them to wear. 
And they needed to be dressed appropriately because that's how you show honor, by your dress. And so the king would be all decked out. The, the, the son would be all decked out. And, and there's the guests that have put on the garments that the king has given them. They're all decked out to, to show their honor to the event and to the son. And then you have this one person, and maybe he's going from table to table eating the food, and he's dressed shabbily. And he's done it intentionally. Because a wedding garment was provided for him. I've had conversations um, with, with people, and well-meaning, I think, and sincere, that very open and positive towards the idea of God. And you can have a conversation around that, but the idea of there being only one way to God that has to happen through Jesus, no thanks, I'll, I'll do it my own way. You see, if we, if we think about the word righteousness and clothing, we are told in the scriptures that what Jesus has done for us, we could never do ourselves. As he went to the cross and he bore our sin against God in himself, and he made this amazing exchange through that cross event, that he became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. Elsewhere, Paul uses an illustration that we'd be clothed in his righteousness, like a garment. So literally, to be, to be dressed appropriately for the wedding is to put on the righteousness of Christ, is to, to agree with God and to say, yes, this is the way. The one and only way to God is through Jesus Christ. There is no other way. I accept that. I believe it. And I put on that garment of righteousness because I want to honor God the Father. And it would be a great, tragic event, a cosmic tragedy, if that banquet hall was not filled with people who were there to honor the accomplishment of Jesus Christ through his life, death, and resurrection. So we put that garment on, and we believe in Jesus, and we're grateful for him. And then we live out that righteousness. We, we want to honor him with how we live from that day forward. This parable is great for you and me, but it's not about you and me. It's about the honor of Jesus and his kingdom. Who are you in the story this morning? Now, I would uh, guess that most of us in this room feel that we are people that have said yes to the invitation. That's why you're here. That's why you come Sunday mornings, because you've said yes so let me ask you the question this morning. Did you see yourself not only as a, as a person who responded and came to the wedding feast, but did you see yourself as one of the servants? One of those that God has also sent to invite others. Because I think as we keep reading on in Matthew's gospel, you'll see that we are, in fact, one of those. That at the end of Matthew's gospel, we have what is called the Great Commission where Jesus says to his disciples, having gone, go and make disciples. Or go and make disciples. Baptizing, as we did this morning, people in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey, teaching them what it means to, to live out that garment of righteousness that I've given to them. Do you see yourself as one of those servants called to go? You see, God has called us not just to participate be a, participate in his kingdom, but also to be an ambassador for
for his kingdom. Do you see yourself this morning as one who's responded, yes, not just to be part of the kingdom, but to be one that shares that kingdom with other people? This is what we want to encourage ourselves in over the next three Sundays is that God has called us to share this priceless treasure of a gift that we have to be in a relationship with him in the kingdom of God. And this morning, I want to just give us a little thing to to take with us through the week to begin this process of becoming, I would say, better ambassadors for his kingdom. First of all, to be in prayer. Pray. And here's what I want you to pray about, two things specifically. First of all, pray for yourself. Pray for your own self. Pray for your boldness. So often the issue is not the other person. It's, what, it's the it's negative stuff that's going on in our head. How you'll be rejected. How that won't go right. Pray for yourself that God would give you boldness. And then pray for those around you. People you already have a, a relationship with that maybe don't know Jesus. That God's put in your path. And you can see God's doing something there. Pray for them. Pray that they would be drawn, their eyes would be open to see what you see in Christ Jesus. Then I would say pay attention. Be alert as to what God's doing around you. See where he's inviting you in to a conversation. And then lastly, the easiest thing I think for us to do is we're going to learn some more tools, as we, especially next week. But, but I want to leave you this week with just this one thing that you could do, and that is invite. Invite. Just as we've talked this morning in this parable, how you are invited, invite someone else. Invite someone else to consider Jesus. Invite someone else to to come to Alpha with you to do that. Invite someone else to church. Hey, would you like to go to church with me? Or if you're in a place where you feel you can do it, invite someone else to have a conversation with you about what it means to become a believer and follower of Jesus Christ. I want to leave you with that this morning. I'm going to close in prayer, and as I do, if you're here today and you don't have a living relationship with Jesus and and your heart's pounding and you know enough about Jesus and you know that you could say yes today, I'm going to give you that opportunity. I'm going to give you the opportunity to say yes to God's invitation to you to come into a living relationship that he paid for through his son, Jesus Christ. Uh, You can do that today, and then we'd love to walk with you and just help you to understand and know how you can walk through that. And as I pray, I'm going to pray a prayer that all of us can pray together. And I invite you in your hearts just to join me and to say yes again to God as I pray this morning. Father, I come before you. Ah, God, I, I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your grace. For every person in this world that you would invite us into your kingdom. Today, Lord, I want to surrender my life to your rule and your reign. Forgive me where I have sinned against you. Wash me clean. And fill me with your Holy Spirit that I might live a life that brings honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen.